morning. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. It's good to worship God with each and every one of you. Again, it was stated earlier, we have several visitors with us, and we're grateful for each and every one of you who has made the choice to come and worship God with us this morning. If you want, you go to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to spend pretty much all of our time in this text this morning. The fourth chapter of Ephesians. At, uh, so at work, we have, we have what we call you know, our annual goals, our yearly goals. Um, and we have those for the mill in general, but then we also have those just individually. Uh, each employee has, uh, this year we have three, three goals, three individual goals for each employee. And those will vary depending on the person, depending on the employee, depending on you know, what, what role you're in, what group you're in, um, what projects you're working on. Those, uh, those goals will vary person by person. However, the idea is that the three goals of each individual all of those goals are going to work together and help the mill accomplish its goals for the year. You know, hitting budget, hitting quality, that kind of thing, which will in turn help the company as a whole hit the company's goals for the year. And so just that idea of individual goals, individual responsibilities, building up into the success of the group as a whole, that's kind of what we're going to be talking about this morning. And that's what Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians chapter 4, um, <clears throat> let's actually start in verse 20 of chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now to him, that's Christ, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which, you have been, with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as, you all, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul, Paul opens this, this section of his letter here. He opens this section um, by imploring the Ephesians, that's the word he uses, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which they have been called. So it's this, this, this call to walk worthy of our calling. <clears throat> well, what, what does that look like? What does it look like to walk worthy of our calling? Well, he, he explains that in the next, the next two verses, in verse 2 and 3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So that's a, a little list there of several different attributes, several different things that, um, that we should be engaging in, characteristics that we should have if we, are, if we are going to walk worthy of the calling to which Christ has called us. And, and, and look at that list there. You have humility, gentleness, patience. Tolerance for one another, diligent to preserve unity. <clears throat> all, all of these things mentioned in, in here in verses two and three, these all revolve around how we relate to each other. You know, patience, 
generally speaking, patience is not something that I exercise toward myself. Gentleness is not something that I exercise toward myself. Um, I'm not humble towards myself. Um, I don't show tolerance for myself. These are things that we do towards somebody else. In the context of this letter, the context of this section of the letter, we're talking about the local body, the local church. And so these are, this is how each member of the local church is to walk in a manner worthy of their calling, demonstrating these things towards the other members. I am to, do, to demonstrate patience toward Jonathan. I'm to demonstrate, you know, tolerance and, and, and gentleness towards Miss Susan, humility towards Miss Quinn back there. This is, these are the things that we're supposed to demonstrate toward each other. <clears throat> so th this calling that he's talking about right now, this is all wrapped around how we relate to each other. And what is the goal of this work? What, what is going to be accomplished when we do this? Well, the end of verse 3, right? We're going to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We're going to, we're going to keep this unity. And, and note that we have this unity already. This unity of the Spirit here, this is something that we have because we're supposed to keep it. You can't keep something that you don't have, right? We have this unity of the Spirit with each other because all who have been saved have received the same gift of the Holy Spirit. So we all share in this together. We share in this unity. But maintaining this unity is something that has to be worked at. We're, we're told to be diligent about this. Be diligent to, make, to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. It's not something that's just going to happen. It's something that we must be diligent about. We must work for it. Every member of the local body has to be diligent toward this goal. And the reason that we can be diligent about this, the reason that we can care about this, that we can even you know, pursue this goal in the first place is that we all share in the most important things. And we see those, those things in verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you also are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We all share those things. Those of us who have been baptized into the blood of Christ all share in this list of, of ones here. The, the one body, the one faith, the one baptism, one God, one Father of all. We all share in these things, and because of that, we can pursue this goal of, we can pursue maintaining this, this unity of the Spirit with each other. And, and that is the overall goal, in a sense, for the local body, is to maintain this unity of the Spirit, to be working together, to maintain this unity of the Spirit that we all share that we all share together because of what God has done in each of us. That, that is our the overall goal, if you will, for this group, for this body. However, how each member can, how each member of the group contributes to that goal is going to differ. And it's going to differ according to the grace that the grace that has been given to each member. And so now let's look back at the text, uh, beginning in verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We'll pause there for a moment. So the, as we stated before we read that section, the goal of the group is to maintain the unity of the Spirit. But how each individual member contributes that is going to vary, it's going to differ according to the, the, the gifts that Christ has graciously given to each of us. And I, I want us to, to note that. I want us to, to think about that together for just a moment. The idea that Christ has given each of us a, a, a gift of grace. That each and every one of us who has been baptized into his blood has, has received a gift of grace from Christ. And, and I believe here in, in this in this context, the, the gift of grace that Paul is referring to is not salvation. Yes, that is a gift of grace that everyone who has been baptized has received, but that, that, I don't think that's what he's talking about here, because um, he talks about how it's, how it's given according to the measure of Christ's gift. It, there, there is variety to some extent in this grace that he is discussing here. Not variety in that one person receives more or one person receives less, but variety in that it is just, it is simply different. The way, the, the way in, we, in which each person receives a gift of grace from Christ is simply different. Not more, not less. Just different, for, for different purposes. And so, we have each received this gift of grace. The, this, the, this blessing, this, uh, this gift, which is referring to blessings, to, to gifts, to abilities, and again, these gifts are going to vary from member to member of the body, but each of us has received a gift of grace from Christ. How does that make you feel? The idea that you have received a gift of grace from our Lord Jesus Christ. So that should be a, a wonderful thought. I, I enjoy receiving gifts, just generally speaking, from, from humans, from, from, from people who I know and love. How, how much greater should the feeling of gratitude and joy be knowing that I, I have received a gift of grace from God, from Jesus the Christ. And how, how, how wonderful is that idea that he has given a gift to me, a gift of grace specific for me, specific for me to use to glorify him. It, my, my gift is, might be different to, than, than, than someone else's gift in here. Your gift is different than mine. We have each received individual gifts of grace from our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, that is a marvelous thing. And it's also a great responsibility. <clears throat> and so if we have received these gifts of grace, we, we are to use them to build each other up to maintain this unity of the Spirit. And he's going to talk about that some more. But first, he kind of goes off on a little little bit of a background, if you will, uh, background story in verses 9 and 10 to explain how and why Christ is able to give these gifts in the first place. And in verse 9, or really it's in verse 8, he explains, he explains verse 8 in verse 9 and 10. It says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And then verse 9 and 10, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. So the idea of what Paul is talking about here is that the gifts that Christ has given us 
he's likening these to the spoils of war. That Christ is the victor. Christ descended to the earth and descended into the earth, was buried after he died, but then he ascended again, conquering death. And as the victor over death, he has the right to these spoils, and he's graciously sharing these gifts, sharing these spoils with us as he gives us grace, and as, as he gives us these gifts and these abilities that we are to then go and use for him in his body, the church. So he gives these gifts to those who are his from the spoils of his victory. What do these gifts look like? What, what, what do these gifts look like that Christ is sharing with those who are his? Well, verse 11 and 12, I believe, I believe, give us a picture of what they look like. He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and, and, and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Remember, who are these gifts given to? They're given to each and every one of us. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each and every member of the body has received one of these gifts from Christ. And then we, we just read the, the list of these various things that Christ has given. Um, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all for this purpose of equipping the saints for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ. So, each member of the local body fits somewhere in that list. And now, apostles, prophets, we don't have those nowadays. Those, uh, the, the apostles all passed away in the first century. Um, those who had the gift of prophecy along with other miraculous abilities, they would have, uh, we, we read in the New Testament here about how those abilities are only passed on by the laying on of the apostles' hands. So those gifts would have passed away um, as the the last people who had had their hands laid on by the apostles when they passed away. So those two roles, not those two roles, don't necessarily apply to us today. The idea of apostles or prophets, but the other three do: evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are all. There's nothing miraculous about any of those about any of those three roles as evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so we're told that each one of us fits. The, the, the gift that has been given to us, to each of us, fits somewhere within this list. And, and note one thing that's not on this list, um, regular member. That's not included in this list. It is. It's not evangelists and pastors and teachers and regular members. It's evangelists and pastors and teachers. Every single one of us should be filling these roles, should be filling these roles according to the gifts of grace that Christ has given to us. <clears throat> and at, at least for evangelists and teachers, we'll get to pastor, pastors or elders, bishops here in a moment, but at least for evangelists and teachers, you know, there's not a hard and fast rule for how one fills this role. Evangelists can certainly preach from the pulpit, as, as I'm doing this morning and as other men in the congregation do here on, on various Sundays. That's is certainly a way that one can do that, can evangelize, um, and maybe not everybody can do that. And the, the role of, of a woman in the local church, for example, does not involve her preaching from the pulpit in the assembly. However, she can and should be proclaiming the Gospels to those outside of the assembly. And the idea of evangelism, getting back to, to the Greek word euangelion, I believe, someone can correct me later on how I pronounce that. But the idea is good news, proclaiming the good news. That's what evangelism is. It is proclaiming the good news of Christ. And 
Any and every one of us should be doing that in our lives. We should be evangelizing. We should be proclaiming the good news of Christ. It's not just when someone is standing up here on a Sunday morning preaching a, a, a sermon from God's Word. We should each be doing this. So, so every one of us can fill this role and should be filling this role. We should be preaching to our friends and neighbors. We should be sharing the good news of Christ with our friends and with our neighbors and with our co-workers. Something that each and every one of us has opportunity to do. And then the, the idea of teachers. That's, that's the last thing on this list here. The idea of teachers. Again, maybe not everyone right now is going to get up and teach a Bible class on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night. Yet we should still all be teachers. Yes, that is a way, that is a way to teach. Uh, teaching the adult class in here, teaching the, children's the various children's classes in the back, those are things that we can do and we should be doing. And, and we're going to talk here just a little bit about how we sometimes limit ourselves by not thinking we can do those things that really we should be able to do. But we, we, should, we, should eat, we, we can each do these things. However, there's much more to teaching than just teaching a structured Bible class on a Sunday or a Wednesday with, uh, as we're gathered together. <clears throat> and, and honestly, most teaching should probably be taking place outside of that setting. You know, think about 45-minute class on Sunday morning, 45-minute class on Wednesday night. That's an hour and a half out of 168 hours in your week. So if there is... If that's the only teaching that, that you're doing in your week, you should probably reevaluate kind of how you're how you're spending some of your other time and, and, and what your what your concerns are. But going to assume that we are that's not the only time that we're doing that in our week. So if 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 that is only an hour and a half, then much more time should be designated, should be given to teaching others outside of those outside of those confines. Um, the 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 just general conversations we should be having with our brothers and sisters should hopefully just naturally include teaching as we're discussing spiritual things with each other, as we're sharing with each other the things that we've been studying in our, in our personal lives, the things that we've, been, that we've been learning, that we've been coming to understand better, maybe something that you realize, hey, I understood this incorrectly for a lot of years, but now I, I, I understand this in a different way and in a better, more correct way. I want to share that with others. These are the types of conversations, these are the types of things that we should be discussing with each other regularly, outside of our Bible classes, outside of our even our normal assembly times. We should be having these conversations with each other, and teaching is going to naturally occur through these, through these interactions as we are sharing with each other the growth that we have experienced through the Word of God, as we share meals in our homes with each other, and, share, and, and across those tables, talk about spiritual things and share the ways in which God's word has changed our lives. Teaching, learning is going to naturally arise from those situations and that those are things that each and every one of us can and should be involved in. And, and also the idea of teaching by example, by the way that we live. That is, that is most definitely a thing and that is something that should not be discounted. If, if the way that I live, the things that I'm doing, if those are contrary to the things that I'm teaching, like verbally, 
that's a problem that's called hypocrisy, and that's a sermon for another day. So our actions should most definitely be backing up the words that we're saying as we're teaching, as we're sharing with each other. Um, but we should not fall into the trap of only trying to teach by example, of, of, of saying, you know, I'm just going to let my example be how I teach, and when people see me, well, they'll see Christ then. Okay, yes, people should be able to look at me and see Christ, look at how I live and see Christ, but that's worthless if they never actually hear how they, can, how they too can live like him. If I am not engaging with people and, and having biblical discussions with them, sharing the good news, that gets back to evangelism, sharing the good news with them, well then, them looking at me and seeing good things that I may be doing, that's really doing nothing more than glorifying myself, is it? And people just look at me and think that, I'm, that oh, Raymond's just such a good person, he does those good things. No. I don't do those good things because I'm a good person. I do those good. I, I do those things because Christ has changed me, because I'm trying to be like Him. It is not of me. It is not of me. It is of Christ. And those are the conversations that we should be having with each other, and, and with with those around us as well. We should we should be willing and ready and wanting to use our words to teach people. It should not be like Moses and claim that you know we're not very good speakers or say that teaching isn't a gift that we've received. Christ came down, and he conquered death, and has generously given gifts of grace to every single one of us from those spoils. I don't believe that it's our place to determine to what extent he has given us a gift. The, the last role in this list that seems applicable today is the idea of pastors, uh, or, or elders, or shepherds, bishops, the, those who are to... The, the men who are tasked with leading a local congregation and shepherding the local congregation. And we just, we don't have those men here, for the record, just for, for visitors. For We do not have elders at this local congregation. And the reason for that is because there are, there, there are there's a list in, in other of Paul's epistles, and 1 Timothy is one of them, and there are certain criteria that a man has to meet in order to fulfill the role of a pastor in order, in order to, to take on the role of a pastor. Um, and that, that, is, that is something that is different than these other two things we've talked about, the idea of evangelists and teachers. Anybody can and should be participating in those things. Not everyone can be a pastor. Not everyone can be an elder. And that's because of those lists and the other, uh, in 1 Timothy and I believe in Titus as well, that I referenced. We're not going to look at them all uh, this morning. We gave lessons for another time. Um, however, even though at, at, any, at any specific point in time, no, not everyone in a local body will be able to be a pastor. I would argue that at any specific point in time, any man in a congregation should be striving to be a pastor, should be working to be a pastor at some point. Because the list of things in 1 Timothy 3 is not something that just, you wake up and, oh, hey, I meet all those criteria. That's something that you are working towards, that, that a man is working towards, and that uh, women should be working towards as well, and the role of an elder's wife, as an, of an elder's wife, that there are criteria, there are things that are listed, and it's not something that's just going to happen without any thought or work being put toward. These are things that we should be striving for even if, you no, know, today Reagan is not qualified to be an elder because 
I don't have kids. Uh, that, that's one of the qualifications. I do leaving children. I'm also 25 years old. I don't think anybody would, would, would qualify that as an elder, as elderly, as 25 years old. So no, I cannot be an elder right now, but that's something that we should, eat, we should be striving for because that is a good work as we read in 1 Timothy 3. It is a good work. It is something that should be desired. <clears throat> and it's something to, to, to work toward and to encourage people to work toward as well. And again, that's some, that is something that everyone in the congregation can help with, is to encourage people to pursue that office. Um, encourage people in that. <clears throat> so those are the those are the three the three roles uh, here in Ephesians four that, that seem applicable to us today. Again, apostles and prophets, maybe more of a first century type type of role. But past evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all things that we should be engaging in to, to varying degrees um, in our lives today, in our walks with Christ today, in our participation in the local body today. And what is the purpose of each of these roles? Was well, to build up the body. That's, that's what we read there in verse 12. Um, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So that, not so that, but until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's, that, is the, that is the end goal that we are all working toward. It is to first maintain the unity of the Spirit and to achieve the unity of faith. We have the unity of the Spirit, right? We have the unity of the Spirit because we all share in that gift of the Holy Spirit that we receive when we are baptized. But we are now to, but we are to pursue, we are, we are striving to attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity of faith and of knowledge. Everyone in here is at a different point. Is, is at a different, yes, just at a different point in their faith, at a different point in their knowledge. And the, the, the thing about walking with God, the thing about being a Christian, the thing about serving Him while we're on this earth, is that there is not a cap on faith. There's not a cap on knowledge to where someone who has been a Christian for 60 years okay, yeah, they've hit that cap. No, they have as much of a responsibility to continue to grow as the person who's been a Christian for six months. And the person who's been a Christian for six months has a responsibility to encourage and build up the person who's been a Christian for 60 years. And, and vice versa. This is something that we are always striving for, always striving to get closer to that unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And, and that's, that's a, when you think about how we're, how we, each and every one of us is to help, is to help each other in that pursuit. That's a wonderful thing. That's a marvelous thing that God has given us brothers and sisters. He's given us a group of people, a community of believers to pursue this unity, to pursue this faith and this knowledge because I'm not going to get there on my own. I, I, I need guidance. I need help. I need, I need to, to be told, hey, you're, you're off on that. Or, hey, 
you know, I want to encourage you with that. That's a really good thing. Continue with that. That's these are things that we should each be doing for each other. Every single one of us has a part to play to help every other person in the body grow in knowledge and faith, so that we can all achieve the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Because at the end of the at the end of the day, Christ is the standard, and we are all to help each other grow toward that standard. Well, when when the body is built up, what's going to happen then? Or what what will not happen? Maybe is uh, at least in the context of Ephesians four. But we're, we're all going to be mature, and but and we will no longer be children. Verse fourteen. As a result. We are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body from building up of itself in love. So we're going to... We're, as the body, as we encourage and build each other up and, and teach and, and share the good news of the gospel and all of those things, as that's happening, as we're building each other up, as we're strengthening each other, we're going to mature. We're, we're going to, to get to a point where we're not tossed around by every wind of doctrine. Every, every, every new thing that we hear that sounds good, that, that, sounds, that, sounds, that sounds good, we're not going to just be tossed around here and there by, by every, anything and everything that we hear. And again, it is every person's responsibility to help others grow so that we can all reach this level of maturity. <clears throat> and this, this, this maturity that we're trying to reach, this is, a this, is a level, this is a place where we are going to be intimately familiar with God's word. And by extension, God himself and his nature and his character. We're not going to be swayed by everything we hear because we are grounded and mature in God's word. We have been sharp because we've been sharpening each other. We've been strengthening each other. And we're not going to be carried away by the trickery of deceitful scheme. It's my responsibility to help strengthen you in the faith and the knowledge of God. And it's your responsibility to help me do the same. That's what Paul's teaching us here in Ephesians 4. And so... If we're not going to be carried away in these things, what are we going to do instead? In verse 15, we're going to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects to be like Christ, our head. We are to, we are to mature to be like Christ, our head. And so if the body is growing to be like the head, well, what does that look like? What does that look like? As the body is being strengthened by Christ, we're told here in verse 16, that it is held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. You get that? The body is held together by itself. The body is held together by each other, by what each joint of the body supplies. That's us. We're the joints, right? We're the different parts of the body, and we're to help hold the body together as we're striving for this unity. We are the joints. We are to supply the strength and hold each other up. But... From where do we, as the parts of the body, receive the strength in the first place? Because that's the key, right? If, if, if the body is relying on Reagan's strength, if the body is, is relying on Clay's strength, 
body is relying, is relying on Jennifer's strength. That's, that's probably, that's, I'm going to speak for myself. I just called, called names as well, but speaking for myself, that's not going to work. At some point, that's going to fail. So from where do we, as the parts of the body, receive strength in the first place? It's from Christ, right? It's from our head. It's from our, from, from our head. That is where the strength comes from. From the gifts that he has graciously given to us. Go back to verse 7 there. So we are to strengthen each other. We are to hold each other together using the blessings and the graces that Christ has given to each of us individually. Christ is the one strengthening the body, but he does it through us. And again, that is a marvelous calling and a heavy responsibility that Christ through us is strengthening the body. Why, why does he do it like this? Why, why does the strengthening happen like this? Couldn't Christ just give us each individually whatever strength we need? Why does he first give gifts and abilities to each of us that we are to each then go and share with, 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 with each other? Why, why, why does he put us in as the middleman, if you will, for the strength? I think it's so that we can participate in his work. So that we can be like him. We are, we are to take the blessings that he gives, and we are to go and give them to others. We are to go and use them as Christ would use them. As he has graciously given to us, we are to graciously share with others. Think back to the, the parable of the, the unforgiving servant, who did not go and live like his master after he had received the forgiveness from him. We are to, to share the blessings that Christ has so graciously shared with us, the gifts of grace that he has shared with us, we are to share with each other. And when thinking about this idea of the body, of, of what every joint supplies, all of the parts working together to accomplish the goal of, of unity, you know, from time, to, from time to time, I've heard people make comments along the, somewhere along the lines of, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just a pinky on, on the body. I'm, I'm just a pinky. Other parts of the local body, they, you know, they have much larger things to contribute than what I can contribute. That's not the point that Paul's making. That is not the point that Paul is making here. That, that kind of teaching, honestly, I don't think is found in the scripture. What that's doing is that's taking this metaphor that's, that Paul is using, and it's making a completely different point from it than the, than the point that he is making. Because the point from this passage is that we should all build each other up in love. We are not to try and identify what we are relative to someone else. Oh, I'm just a pinky, but they're the heart over there. That's not, that's not the point of this. The point of this is that every single person, every single member of the body has just as important of a role as the other, and that is to strengthen and encourage the rest of the parts. To take the gifts and grace that Christ has given to us and use those to strengthen each other, to build each other up in love. We are to evaluate the gracious gifts that Christ has given us and go use them to strengthen our brother. And this also means that we're always going to be growing. Every member, every part, always going to be growing. Because if you think about it, just from a, from a physical standpoint, if all of my body is growing except for one part, that's a problem. And the rest of the body is going to suffer because of that. If, if, if everything, if, if, I, if I was growing normally except my right hand, if my right hand was, had a problem and it wasn't growing, the rest of me is going to suffer because of that. 
we should all be growing together. Whatever gifts of grace Christ has given to you, you should be taking those and growing in them. Think about the, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. We are to take what God has graciously given to us and, and grow in that. Go make, you know, the, the man who had five talents, he went and made five more. And God was pleased with that. We are, we are to grow in the things that, that we have been given by Christ and grow in how we are sharing them with our brothers and our sisters. So as, as we are bringing this lesson to a close this morning, my question for you is this. Are you, are you supplying strength to this body here at Walnut Street according to the measure of grace, grace with which Christ has blessed you? And remember, we're not in the business of selling ourselves short. We're not going to try and limit the gracious gift with which Christ has supplied us. So are you supplying strength to this body according to the measure of grace with which Christ has supplied you? Am I making the absolute most of everything that Christ has given me? Any opportunities, any abilities, any blessings that Christ has given me, am I making the most of those to strengthen my brothers and sisters here at this local body? Because that's what we should all be about, right? When, when, when we are all doing that, we will be growing in unity, we will be growing in faith and in knowledge, and we will all be becoming more like God. We will all be becoming more like God together. And that sounds like a community that... that I want to be a part of, and a community that I think others would want to be a part of as well. A group of people who are grown to be more like God, who are grown to be more like the humans that they are created to be, all the way back in the garden. People who are who share the, share in the divine nature, who bear God's image to, to, to those around them. That that is what we can all encourage and build each other up for. And so, am I making the most of my opportunity to do that? Because after all that he has done for us, what, what should we not be giving for him? I hope that this lesson, lesson has been encouraging and challenging this morning. <clears throat> and, and I hope that we can see some of the, the rich blessings that we can enjoy as being when, when we are a part of the local body of Christ like this. As we are helping each other grow, looking out for each other. If, if you are not a Christian this morning, if you have not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins uh, and had your, had your sins washed away in the waters of baptism representing the blood, blood of Christ, you, you can't enjoy this yet. Now, the wonderful news of the gospel, talking about proclaiming that, is that as long as you're alive, you have the opportunity to submit to God and to have your sins forgiven and to enter into his kingdom and join yourself to a local body. And if you haven't done that, then we, we implore you to do that. You can enjoy the blessings we've talked about this morning, but so many more blessings on top of that. Freedom from sin, the freedom from, from the guilt of your sins. It's a, a marvelous blessing, and I hope that we can all share in that together. If, if, you have, if you have entered into that covenant with God, if you have had your sins washed away, you need strength. You need support. That's what we're here for. That's what we're talking about this morning. We, we want to help you. We want, we want to strengthen you. If it's something that you, you need prayers from the whole congregation, then, then you can let us know this morning. If it's something of a more individual or private nature right now, then get with someone here, please. We, we, we want to help you. We want to all grow together and strengthen each other. Because you may need help this morning. What? The person you talk to may need help uh, next week. They may need help six months from now. 
and you have, and by by you initiating that this morning, you're then giving them, encouraging them, and giving them the boldness and the courage to go to you later when they are in dire need as well. So if there's anything that we can do this morning, if you need to be baptized, if you if you need strength from the from 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 Christ through the local congregation, then please let us know this morning. We have an opportunity now as we stand as we sing. Give them to Jesus for the cleansing power.